You're listening to 1881, powered by the American Hereford Association and part of the Hereford Network. Here's your host, Shane Bedwell. Welcome back to 1881. This is your host, Shane Bedwell, for the American Hereford Association podcast, and we certainly want to appreciate all the good listeners and the feedback that we've got on our first two episodes. Um, the feedback uh, has been tremendous, so keep listening, keep sharing the podcast uh, with friends and uh, breeders and members and um, you know commercial cattlemen out there and about uh, that could benefit from uh, some of the stories um, that we share here on 1881. Uh, we certainly appreciate the time that Anton Hermas gave to us sharing about his uh, commercial operation there in eastern Colorado. So uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, I'd encourage you to go back and uh, listen. I think there were some great testimonials um, about uh, Hereford genetics and how they can be used in a commercial operation and specifically with crossbreeding, improving the bottom line and uh, helping uh, move the cow herd forward. And uh, we have those uh, podcasts available where they're easily shared uh, through Facebook or any social media channel. Well, this episode, folks, is going to be a great one. And uh, we have two uh, distinguished gentlemen uh, representing their uh, programs uh, on air today. And uh, we're excited to, to share uh, the history behind Line One Cattle. And uh, the two gentlemen that I have uh, on today is uh, Jack Holden and Mark Cooper. Welcome, guys. Good morning. Happy to be here. Um, thanks for allowing us to be on. Very exciting. Well, Holden uh, Herefords and Cooper Herefords certainly needs uh, no introduction. I think uh, to folks that are engaged and involved in the beef cattle industry. They've uh, been um, hallmark programs uh, for uh, the Hereford breed uh, for a long time, and uh, we're excited to uh, dive into kind of the beginning of, of their programs and uh, share a little bit about how they got started. And then, uh, you know, what's unique uh, within uh, the Hereford breed is the fact that these uh, gentlemen uh, have stayed uh, steadfast to what their uh, forefathers kind of started with, uh, you know, line one cattle and the lineage and kind of the breeding philosophy, breeding philosophy behind that. And so uh, that's what uh, what we're going to kind of talk and, and share with you today. And so with that, uh, um, gentlemen, Mark, if you uh, you want to get us started, uh, share a little bit about Cooper Herefords. Uh, Willow Creek, Montana, uh, share a little bit about, uh, how the operation got started and the family members, and, and then we'll go on to Jack. All right. Uh, thanks Shane and Taylor. Um, <clears throat> I guess I'd like to introduce my family first. My wife, uh, Christy, uh, been married 43 years. Uh, we have four daughters, um, two daughters on their ranch that are actively involved, uh, Kelsey, uh, she got a degree after high school in Northern uh, California, uh, got a degree in public relations and um, marketing. Uh, 
Katie, the other daughter that's involved in the operation, uh, went to California also a couple of years after Kelsey and got a degree out of Cal Poly in engineering. Both worked in California for four or five years after uh, getting their degree, and then they decided to come back to the ranch, which we were very uh, delighted to have them. Um, both are very actively involved. Uh, Kelsey's husband, Dave, um, He's from White Sulphur Springs. Um, he's been with us since about 2002, kind of off and on. Uh, Kelsey and Dave finally got married, and and uh, they do have a fly fishing business up in uh, White Sulphur. So Dave's gone part of the summer from the 1st of July till uh, normally around the first week or two in September. But uh, we, we kind of manage around that, uh, and it's worked pretty well. Uh, we have two other daughters. Uh, the oldest daughter, Tracy, lives in Bozeman, which is about 30 miles from here. Um, she got a degree in pharmacy, and they have. Uh, she's married, and her husband, Stuart. Uh, they have three daughters, um, Sadie, Grace, and Molly. And then our youngest daughter, Natalie, uh, she also got a degree in pharmacy. Uh, they're uh, her family and. Uh, Luke Kavorik and uh, Natalie live in uh, Ord, Nebraska, and they have a commercial operation of about 600 black cows and do uh, mainly crossbreeding on Hereford bulls. They have three sons, uh, Tad, uh, Jax, and Rue. I think probably the beginning you know, the whole of our family with my dad back in the grandfather come here in 1914 to the operation and or from nebraska to uh willow creek montana and they settled there in 1914 and homesteaded about 480 acres and raised a family of nine which would included my dad my dad and my uncle les uh holden uh, and then from there it just kind of uh i'll probably let jack say a few things about his family and whatnot we just kind of move on from there with the, the family i guess with uh the roots that started back in, uh, the 1914 year. Sounds good, Mark. Uh, you, you inherited, uh, some son-in-laws, uh, so you've, yeah, you've got, I got uh, four, quite a few of those guys to kind of keep in check, right? Yep. They, uh, we're, we're blessed with four good son-in-laws. I couldn't have yep. asked for better ones and, and healthy grandchildren. And, uh, that's a big part of, uh, life anymore it's just good health and good people around you mm-hmm. well congratulations on the 43 years that's uh that's pretty impressive with with christy yep. and you yep we actually met uh, at a class c tournament uh i graduated in 1970 and we were class c which is a smaller uh, rankings of high school we had a state tournament up in helena montana and uh, she was from built montana which is out of great falls and we mm-hmm. kind of hooked up then, and at that time we were still having our sales up at Great Falls, so that worked out pretty good. Uh, where we went up to the sale for our production sale at Great Falls, and built only like 15, 20 miles out of uh, Great Falls. So, yeah, it was a dream come true, I guess. Yeah, very good, very good. Well, Jack, why don't you share a little bit about uh, Holden Herefords? Well, Holden Herefords was uh, started by uh, my grandparents, Les and Ethel Holden. Uh, we moved on to this ranch uh, up here in ni- Christmas of 1954. They uh, they bought the place of Blair, Montana here up in northern Montana. We're only about 60 miles from the Canadian line. 
and right off the east slopes of the Rockies. Uh, my grandfather grew up, uh, you know, from when he was four or five years old on at the Cooper Herford Ranch. Uh, uh, his father had died, and and uh, his mother ended up marrying Mark's grandfather, uh, Frank, and and you know, and and then they had more kids together, including Jack Cooper, and so he grew up there for a while, and and left college and was back at Willow Creek for a while. And then they ended up uh, in towns in Montana for about 10 years on a lease place and, and wanted an irrigated ranch. And so they sold all the commercial cows and in the fall of 54, uh, ended up, you know, finding this place up here that kind of, they could make the down payment on and, and, you know, uh, almost 70 years later, uh, we're still here and it's been good to us. Uh, you know, I, my wife and I came home and in, in 1987, it took over from, uh, my grandparents, uh, running the corporation, running Holden Herefords. I, I, my parents lived very close, uh, their ranch is just down the road. And so I had grown up around here and, and went with my grandfather a lot. And, and he was a, a fantastic mentor and, 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 and just really good to me. And, you know, I had Herford cows over here when I was, uh, when I was young, uh, now very blessed to have, uh, uh, we have two kids, uh, Brad, who's 29 and, and just recently got married last August. And, uh, so he's been involved in, and back for, in the operations for about, uh, seven years now, since he graduated from Montana state, uh, uh, with an animal science degree, uh, also have a daughter, Brooke, that's 32 and, and her husband, Eric Laver, uh, he's been with us how he came to work, uh, part-time in the summer while he was going to college and ended up, uh, they got together and ended up getting married. They've been married about, uh, three to four years now and, and have a grandson Brayton that's two years old. And, and, uh, so very blessed to have both of them involved in the operation. They're both, uh, really, really fine young men, really believe in what we're doing, uh, and, and the line one cattle and program. And, and so, you know, that's kind of the history of Holden Herefords and, you know, we're looking forward to it going on a lot more, you know, Mike, I think both our operations, you know, kind of got started in the line one cattle back in the, uh, you know, the late forties, uh, using, uh, bulls from the mile city station, you know, on commercial cows. And, and then from there, uh, I think Jack Cooper got his first cows, you know, directly registered females kind of from the, from the mile city station, um, my grandparents ended up uh, trading one and a half of their uh, commercial heifers for a neighbor's one of his heifers for a couple seasons in the in the early fifties to get some some Hereford registered Hereford females. So those those females were also of advanced domino breeding, uh, which is what the line one cattle were based off of uh, at Fort Keogh, and and you know and then started using the Mile City bulls on top of those to kind of build the herd and you know so we've been blessed to you know be involved with you know the line one genetics for oh 75 years now and you know uh registered cattle for for both operations for almost that long uh you know yes for a lot of years we had uh when they first started the first bull sales it was the you know the cooper holden bull for sales from 67 to 79 we met together and grandpa and and 
Coopers, we'd met together in, in Great Falls, both hauled all the bulls in and, and had the sale down there, and, you know, until it got big enough to make sense for both of us to uh, take the production sales back to our own operations. And of course, our, our sales are, are kind of back-to-back always. We share a lot of customers. Our, our programs are very similar. And of course, we're both, you know, still still line breeding the line one cattle and believing what they've done and, and what they do for the industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's let's back up just a little bit and uh, kind of so the relationship uh, is very strong. But so how are you two related? Uh, then you know, Mark, between you and Jack, you would you be? I guess we'd be um, second cousins. Uh, second cousins. Second cousins. Yep. My dad and 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 Mark's dad would be would have been first cousins. Or my right. dad and Mark, brothers. My dad and Mark are first yeah. cousins. Yes, yeah. right, right. Very and, good. And then yes, so uh, Les Holden and, and Jack Cooper were 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 half brothers with the same mother. Yeah, right. And so uh, you know, kind of going back to the beginning, you know, um, you know, as far as you know, kind of the line one cattle, and just you know, talking about you know, um, Les and, and, and Jack Cooper, you know, that was kind of right. Um, you know, when, when they would have got started in the business, it was kind of the start of the, you know, people really getting serious about measuring cattle, you know, performance measurements. And I know going back to the history of the beef improvement federation, um, those two gentlemen were instrumental in the formation of that federation would exist today as, as BIF. And so uh, let's, let's kind of jump into that and, and talk, you know, about how those guys got started, you know, with line one cattle and, you know, who got them started and why they chose line one cattle. I think probably <clears throat> instrumental in both the lesson and my dad's uh, life was Ray Woodward, which would have been a, brother-in-law to to both of them and he was the research superintendent down at Miles City Station at that time kind of the, the beginning of the line one program Les, or uh, Ray was involved with that and I think that time that dad and Les kind of both believed in performance testing and that's what you know the line one cattle basically tried to prove that uh, performance testing was inheritable and they had that belief but I think Ray really was instrumental in pushing those guys that direction. And I think they, they believed in what uh, Ray was telling them. And uh, I think from there on, it was just kind of history. Um, you know, uh, dad started with 15 head of line one heifers. I think it cost around 200 bucks a head uh, that time from the research station. And he said, that that's all he could afford to buy at that time was 15 head. He said he should have bought them all, but that was all the land bank with the, uh, ornament at that time you know and i think since that time Les and jack believed in performance testing and and kept really good records started measuring the cattle on their their birth weight and weaning weight and yearning weight and just started uh performance testing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know they were yeah they were you know uh uncle jack and 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 grandpa Les were definitely, you know, real pioneers on the, on the performance testing. And they were both charter members of the Montana beef performance association, which was, you know, really one of the first, you know, uh, places out there where, where people did start 
you know, weighing cattle and turning all the data in. And, you know, and it was a group of, you know, that kind of started that of, of very progressive breeders, you know, uh, along with, you know, Dale Davis uh, was one of them, uh, Buddy Cobb from Cobb Charlet, uh, you know, those guys all kind of got together and, and, and got that going. It was ran through uh, Montana State and Bozeman and, and they really bucked the trend uh, in the, in the Hereford breed, you know, when they started, that was started in 1956 and, you know, they, they believed in it, you know, they believed what, what Ray had told them and, and, you know, they believed cattle, you know, ought to have performance and growth and and the cows ought to milk well. And, and, you know, part of those were evaluating cattle on grading cattle on phenotype. I mean, they, uh, you know, the, the, beef performance association would send a guy out when you took the weights and they'd grade those cattle and they, you know, they did some bull testing stuff before they got into the sale and actually having the, the Cooper Holden sales. And, but they, I mean, they stuck to their guns and they believed in what they were doing. And they, they, you know, they, they took a lot of, uh, took a lot of guff from, from, from some of the other breeders, you know, in the Hereford breed at that time, that was the belt buckle days, you know, we're actually trying to, uh, you know, a lot of the breeders were breeding them shorter and smaller and, and, uh, you know, they, they bucked that trend and, and, you know, it really paid off for them in the long run, uh, you know, for, for a couple of reasons, number one in the sixties, when the dwarfism, uh, hit, you know, was in spread through the Hereford breed, some of the popular lines of cattle, uh, had it pretty well and of course we don't have the technology that we do today to you know to find those those markers and test those cattle back then it was you know breeding bulls to his daughters and those kind of things and you know it was kind of an awakening i think for the breed when that happened and you know thankfully you know the the advanced domino line one cattle were 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 clean of that defect and and that's really i think what uh got some people started looking at the line one cattle and you know also the awakening that you know, maybe we need to have more, uh, more performance and, and, and maternal and, and some of those strengths in, in the Hereford breed that they didn't have. And, you know, I think people started coming to, you know, because the cattle were clean and they were the bigger cattle in the breed at that point. And, and, you know, what's kept them coming, you know, 55, 56 sales later is, you know, they figured out there's a lot of good in, in, uh, in those line one cattle with the predictability and the uniformity and consistency they produce. And, you know, and, and a lot of years of breeding of, of two great cattlemen that, that were, were super rigorous in what they were doing and, and believed in what they were doing and stuck to their guns. And it was no excuses, uh, type deal. We're going to produce the right kind and keep making them better every year and keep stacking, you know, the right genetics in there. And, and, you know, it's why I think both of us have, you know, customers that have that have bought bulls from us still you know we're you know 55 60 years some of those families are, are still still customers the cattle are working for them and 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 they believe you know and then you know the frame race definitely helped back in the mm-hmm. you know in the in the 70s too i mean people were chasing bigger cattle and looking for frame sevens and you know uh, the line one cattle were were some of the bigger cattle out there in the breed but uh, yeah, you know, they, they were, yeah, they were there already. I mean, they, that, that's, I mean, that's innovative. And I mean, they were true pioneers in, in seeing the need for that, you know, like you said, Jack in the, in the fifties, uh, late fifties and, and going into that, 
performance mindset um, well before the you know the continental craze would have hit the U.S. And so that's that's pretty neat. Yeah, I was looking. Uh, I remember one thing Dad told me about when he first started having those sales up at Great Falls. They weren't getting all the bulls sold. They were selling them for you know six, seven, eight hundred dollars. <throat> the ones that didn't sell after the sale, they just run through the auction barn and get rid of them. But he did say that one man out of Colorado, Max Fulcher, was a well-respected uh, cattleman, you know, across the, the nation, and he come up to the sales and started buying up there and that kind of woke a lot of people up. And, and I think the line one cattle caught fire about that time too. Like Jack said, they were, they were long, they were big, they had performance in them. And, and, uh, I was looking back at some old cow logs there back in the seventies and eighties. And, um, it's pretty amazing that we were selling those kind of bulls for that kind of money, you know, that, uh, that's the cattle they wanted, you know, back then. But, uh, they were proven, and like Jack said, they were clean. Uh, they had performance numbers behind them. They were backed by, you know, strong families and and with integrity and honesty, you know. So, um, but mm-hmm. I think it worked out good. You know, once uh, I think we had them sales there 14, 15 years in Great Falls, and then we uh, decided to move them back to the ranches, and we had our first production sale here in '79, and. I think Les had one up there, you know, he sold them off the uh, cow for the bulls off the cow for two or three years, I believe. And then they moved into a spring production sale too. And it's, it's worked really good for the both families. Well, the, the, the March event, uh, that happens, uh, every year, uh, in Montana, it's kind of the pilgrimage to Montana to see, uh, the latest and greatest genetics. Uh, of your programs and so it's a it's a must-see uh, uh, event and uh, you've got the some of the brightest cattlemen and in, in the nation and the world that, that come to uh, the two operations to see the the next genetics um, that Mark and uh, Jack create and so it's a it's definitely a neat tradition that's maintained itself uh, throughout the breed so guys let's let's talk a little bit um about line one specifically, you know, and we've kind of covered the advances and the dominoes and kind of touched on that a little bit, but, uh, let's maybe go back to the beginning of, you know, why line one was, was chosen. It's my understanding. There were, you know, a few other lines that were created and, you know, the line ones kind of surfaced to the top and, uh, how all that began. So, uh, whoever wants to jump in and kind of start, uh, covering and, and, and just feel free to come in and, and, and talk about it here. Well, 1934, uh, yeah, at, at Fort Keogh, mile city, they, you know, they, they started putting together some of these lines of, of cattle to do the research on. And the line one was the first one that they did. Uh, they had, they bought 50 cows from George miles of, you know, who the, the town was named after. And, and they took uh, two sons of a bull named advanced domino, the 13th. Uh, one was advanced domino, the 20th. One was advanced domino, the 54th bred them to those cows, put those cows. And then the next year, or as they went forward, you know, the daughters of advanced domino, the 20th got bred to the other bull and vice versa. And they closed that herd and, you know, it's been closed and, still it's still in existence uh 80 some years later you know the inbreeding coefficient on those cattle was 
probably over 30% now. They've, you know, made it through that. They've continued to show that they can, you know, improve performance and, and growth. And, you know, it wasn't probably as balanced, you know, or complete a selection as, as what we have done in our herds, you know, uh, because it was more of a scientific project, but, uh, it's great to see that, you know, that line is still there because yes, they ended up at one point, I think with 14 different lines of Hereford cattle, uh, I think there were six or eight that were, you know, each lines of, of a line of Hereford cattle that they were breeding. Then they started crossing back and forth to make some of the additional lines. Uh, but over time, all of those lines fell by the wayside for, for one reason or another, just didn't, couldn't maintain the performance or quality, you know, or, or, or where they saw some recessive traits start coming through. And, and, you know, it's really a testament to the line one herd that, you know, you can have a closed herd that has not had any outside genetics brought into it for over 80 years and still, still be in existence. Right. So the, the whole intent was, you know, to, to line breed these cattle. And so some of our listeners, you know, Jack, when you talked about the inbreeding coefficient, uh, you know, that's, that's the whole goal here is to, uh, um, stack these pedigrees on top of one another, you know, with that intent to, uh, line breed them. Right. So kind of, kind of cover that a little bit with our listeners. Yeah. That's something that, you know, uh, Grandpa Les and, and, and Jack Cooper, they, they really have always believed in, you know, and it's line breeding this line of cattle, uh, stacking, uh, your best genetics. I mean, we believe in stacking cow families, both operations. You got to have, uh, you know, above average individuals and be very hard on your herd to continue to line breed the cattle and make it work because, you know, line breeding is controlled inbreeding. Uh, you know, inbreeding over time can, you know, suppress fertility, performance, you know, some of those traits. And so if you don't continue to put, uh, animals with, you know, superior animals back into your program and, and really be rigorous, you know, you, you know, uh, you can, it can certainly fail. And, you know, it's, it's really been a testament to the strength of the line one line of cattle and, and what Coopers and us have done over the years that these cattle have continued to improve performance, you know, the carcass end of them, the maternal end, all the balanced traits that come out of that. And, and I think that's a big reason why we have such a customer base that we do, you know, the, it is what you see is what you get. The cattle are, you know, they are uniform and predictable and, and, and consistent in their type and kind and how they breed, you know, the extra heterosis kick that you get out of all those years of stacking those genetics and, and all the selection traits that we put in for, you know, probably going on you know, 20 plus generations now of, of cow families, you know, and sires back in there. Uh, that's all there, you know, that, that comes through on the other end. And, you know, our, our customers believe in them, our new customers find out, you know, uh, how well those cattle work for them and, and what they'll do. And, you know, the uniformity that they get in their, in their calf crops and how, you know, how strong the females are, uh, and just all the functional traits of, of years of, of, of really quality selection pressure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so Mark, uh, you know, you might kind of add in here just a little bit, you know, with that, uh, 
you know, those, those line one cattle and kind of your experience, uh, you know, you guys, you know, we have a mating predictor on our website that, uh, takes a deep dive back through all the pedigrees and you guys utilize, uh, that inbreeding coefficient, uh, you know, quite a bit, I, uh, I would assume as far as trying to maximize, you know, some, some breeders use it to, to minimize that amount of, of inbreeding, but, uh, um, obviously you want to do that to a certain extent, but, you know, line one breeders and, and you guys as premier kind of seed stock, you know, herds, uh, you know, are using that probably a little bit different. Yeah, we, uh, we do use that meeting predictor quite a bit. Uh, I still kind of believe, uh, I'll take a look at that, those numbers and we're surely not trying to increase the inbreeding coefficient, but it's, you know, with time it does, it will increase. I think it was back in the early nineties, uh, the research station, uh, run a inbreeding coefficient on both of our herds. And I think at that time it was around 12 to 14% inbreeding, you know, so we've come a long ways from there. Uh, I think probably our cow herd now, you know, we're up in the mid to upper twenties now. Uh, I don't see an issue with that. Um, I think phenotype, you know, the right phenotype, you like to match the right bull to the right cow to make a better calf. And, and then I do take in consideration where the inbreeding is, but, uh, in my mind, I still think it's, you know, these cattle got to look the part and they got to have the numbers behind them. And uh, so I don't think as time goes on, uh, you know, we're not, that inbreeding coefficient is going to increase. Um, it really helps, you know, our program that we can uh, can use a bull out of holding Herefords up there because it seems like even though we're very uh, similar, similar in our breeding programs uh, through the years, we've used different lines of uh, line one genetics. So it seems like um, you know buying a bull up at Jack's, why we can decrease that inbreeding coefficient by one percent or two percent. So you know it's uh, moving forward. You know I think both programs uh, have a bright future. I think it's uh, uh, if one can survive without the other, you know maybe could maybe. Don't know, but uh, I think at this point in time, why it's uh, we're kind of working together, and and uh, we're both uh, producing cattle that kind of work for the commercial industry out there. And there's so many different uh, instruments out there now in in, in selecting these cattle. You know that uh, really comes to the forefront. This helped both programs. Mm-hmm. Well. Um, you guys have both been, uh, early adopters, uh, just like, uh, you know, Jack and Les were, um, in the early days of, you know, measuring the cattle, uh, you know, as, as DNA and, uh, genomics have, have come along. You guys have been, uh, you know, embracers of whole herd, uh, DNA from the beginning and, uh, you know, the use of embryo, um, ET work and, flushing and and all that i mean it's uh you know has allowed your your program to kind of progress and you know you've used the tools to identify the superior genetics and i you know i I think both of you you know truly do believe in you know every performance measure you can possibly get to help you make the the best decision you know as you're mating uh, and continuing the legacy yeah, you know, I 
really believe in in all the data. I mean, you know, I think our programs are both, you know, we both believe in good data in as good data out. Number one, I mean, there's no you turn it in, you turn it in right. You're, you know, we want we want all the info for ourselves. We want it for our customers. Number one, when we take the weights and measures, you know, birth weights. We you know we've both been ultrasound and you know for since 1995. Uh, you know, basically all the bulls, all, all the heifers is yearlings getting all that data in. We believe in carcass, you know, we want proper weights and measures to, you know, we're super hard on our cow herd from a fertility, from a uh, milk production standpoint, from functionality, and flushing ability and, and, you know, pr- well, production themselves, you know, they got to get it done. Um, you know, we both uh, definitely adopted uh, the genomics uh as soon as we had genomic EPDs out there to try and get that uh, integrated in the herd, you know, to give us more info, same thing. And we want as much info for ourselves as we can have and also for our customers. And so anything that can help us predict what those cattle are going to do and how they're going to breed uh, going forward earlier, you know, that's, that's a bonus for all, especially with, you know, all the embryo work that we both do and, you know, those ET calves where, uh, you know, basically their numbers would be the same without the genomics uh, part part of the equation and having all our cow herds and and, and sires done for, you know, back quite a few uh, years. And now, you know, all that data there, you can see those, those ET bulls spread out once the genomics come back on them, kind of see, you know, which one of those brothers, you know, the best phenotype one may not end up being the best breeding bull on some of the other traits and so you have to balance that because we we still truly believe in phenotype uh, also i mean the cattle have to look right they you know as as strong a performance and 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 epd breeders we believe in that it's still the complete package is what we both believe in that you've got to they've got to look right those cattle got to have eye appeal they've got to have the right body type and yet you want them to go on and breed breed all those other traits that are stacked into them uh, you know also i I was thinking about that the other day. I mean, when I first came back in 87, I remember uh, the pile of blood typing cards uh, that were in the file cabinet. I mean, yep. uh, you know, both operations have been, we've been parentage verifying these cattle for, you know, 40, 40 some years now, you know, and plus, and, and, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, through blood typing to then, you know, DNA with the microsatellites, now the SNPs. I mean, we believe we want to know how everything's bred, but, you know, so everything's right. And, and, you know, that's really a testament to even how early they embraced, uh, uh, Grandpa Les and Uncle Jack and Grace embraced that technology back then. And, you know, I think, you know, Cooper's, you know, were ahead of us on, on starting the ET deal when it was just when the non-surgical ET was, was just barely getting going. They were, uh, you know, they were one of the first to have embryo calves down there and, and, and get that, that end of things rolling. So it's, you know, we want to be on the front end. We want to continue to do it right, but we believe in, you know, getting all the info we can for ourselves and, and, and our customers to, to make the right decisions to go forward. So Mark, uh, share a little bit about, uh, I guess, Cooper Herford's, you know, uh, Jack kind of led into it there, uh, early adopters of embryo transfer and, you know, the, I, you know, it, I'd like to have been a fly on the wall, you know, when, uh, you know, uh, Jack or 
and you kind of sat down and said, okay, this is the first cow at Cooper Herford's we're going to flush, and this is why. Yeah, I can't remember what year that was, but um, it was, uh, and I can't remember the cow or what the breeding was behind her, but Dr. Kittle over at Belgrade, uh, he's the first one that started doing some of that embryo transfer, and I know we took one cow over there, and I think we ended up with like four or five calves, and it was kind of an eye-opener at that time. Dad was very receptive to uh, change or trying something new, you know. So AI was never a problem with them too much. And and uh, when this embryo transfer come out, why it was something that we tried. I don't think we even had any commercial cows at that time. I think probably the recepts were provided by Transova over there, uh, you know. But from there on, we've you know to this. I mean, we've been embryo transferring since that date and. Uh, we're probably doing you know eight to nine cows a year. Uh, we're only spring uh, breeders, so these cows got a the young cows, the good cows seem like they calve first, and we those ones that we do select for our embryo transfer program are usually in the top five ten percent of our herd, and uh, we get them flushed early, and we like to get them bred back so they stay in the herd. Um, we still believe in fertility, and and we don't like these cows to to um, you know end up being open but uh it's been a really good tool for for our program you know taking some of these, the, the better in cows uh flushing them to some of our younger bulls you know it's just uh it's it's really moved our program forward i think probably both programs for the most part only use these bulls two or three years and they're moving on with the son or, or producing the daughter better than the dam is, you know, and if making genetic progress, I would assume that, uh, you know, son should, or a bull should be producing some better than he is. If not, why well, you're probably not making much, uh, genetic progress. But, uh, and I think the genomics end of it, I'm a firm believer in that now. I, you know, for a while there, I was kind of a head scratcher because these the data would come in and there'd be quite a bit of variation in those uh, in those genomics once you got some progeny out there. And I think since then, you know, now that it's uh, they've uh, they've worked on that and improved that, you know, I don't see these these numbers stay pretty solid. I it's it's been a really good tool for us and i think for jack both because you know you're using these young unproven sires why you got to have some data to back it up and i think with genomics that's probably the best best data we got well you know you you've said two things there mark that i think are profound in in that uh you know for the younger breeders out there you know turning over generations and making rapid genetic progress is the name of the game right and i I thought your quote there uh, was well stated that if uh, um, your favorite sire or your favorite cow can't produce a a daughter or son that's uh, better than them then maybe it's the wrong direction and 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 that's uh that's what i've always admired about both of your programs uh is how how quick you turn the generations and you're you're on to the next one and with the whole goal in mind to, to make them better. And, uh, I think there's a, there's a lot to can be taken there. And then, you know, the combination, I think, you know, genomics are a great tool. Um, but they're not the only tool and you guys have anchored, you know, with whole herd TPR as many true phenotypes across the whole herd as anybody, um, you know, can add up and then you've done the whole herd DNA. And so 
when you have both of those two in harmony, it does work. And, and there can be a lot of value in it, but it, uh, one without the other, I don't, I don't know is as powerful. Um, and I think, uh, the Cooper and Holden programs is a, is a great testament to that. Yeah, I, I, I'll echo what Mark said. I mean, it's, you know, and, and you, Shane, I mean, I think it's, it's really been a great tool, you know, when, when you have that many years of data and the cattle are related, you know, anyway behind it. And, and, you know, when you've been turning in good data and all the performance records behind there and with, with the association, you know, moving to bolt, uh, where, you know, that's all coming together into the genomics and, and, uh, you know, those cattle, it just, and, and as more, you know, there's been so much, uh, DNA come in to continue refining the training set on the, on the genomics. We really see a lot more accuracy, you know, and predict prediction of, of those, uh, with, with what the genomics do. I mean, you know, uh, both of our operations, basically as soon as, you know, everything that makes the cut at weaning boom, gets sent in, you know, parentage verified, the genomics, you know, all the, all the, the defect tests and all that. And, you know, so we see that data before we, we collect the yearling phenotypes a lot of times. And it's the last few years, you know, on the, on the carcass end or, or some of those ends. I mean, it, it, it definitely is predicting, you know, some of what you're going to see, uh, when you do do the phenotypes, you know, whether, you know, I know a few years ago or heck this year, we had a bull that, you know, yes, he was bred to be that way, but the genomics popped him to, uh, you know, to the number one ribeye area bull and, you know, in the, in the group and, you know, when we scanned him, he had a 17 inch ribeye and, you know, and then he moved, he moved even farther up the line, but it, it definitely kind of told you that was coming and, you know, and, and it's nice to see that follow through and, and see though, you know, not near the bounces in them. Hey, it's still genetics and still breeding, but you know, the quicker you can have an idea of what's going to happen, especially when you're turning these, these generations, like we have to, I mean, the better we all are uh, to be able to, 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 to find those individuals that are, they're going to keep moving the program forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, both, both operations, uh, you know, are pillars as far as generating, you know, germplasm for, you know, the Hereford breed and the seed stock side of things. But, you know, I think, you know, that, you know, the conversation, you know, kind of where, you know, I'd like to talk a little bit about, you know, line one cattle, you know, because they are, you know, line bred, you know, when you take them and put them into a commercial operation, you know, on black cows or red cows, whatever it may be, um, the genetic explosion that you get in that first cross is, is probably, you know, as, as much of a bang as you can possibly get, you know, within the breed today because of that. Um, you know, the meat animal research center a few years ago would have, you know, done a, you know, a study and Jack and I talked about this in our first podcast of just, um, you know, because we've kept a, a closed, uh, herd book, and, um, you know, maintain Hereford over the years, you know, the, the unrelatedness to the other breeds, um, you know, is, is a lot greater than, than, than a lot of them out there today. And, and I think with line one cattle, because of that uniformity and 
and consistency, but yet being a little bit more unrelated, even within the Hereford population, what are your guys' experience, I guess, with your commercial customers kind of seeing that in the, in the F1 programs? I think, uh, you know, I think the future is a black cow as far as the Hereford breed. Uh, both programs are, are seeing a tremendous amount of interest year in, year out, you know, from Angus based herds and, and, I think the line one cattle with the predictability and the consistency that you see and know exactly what you're going to get and the balanced traits you have, you know, with the, the pressure we put on birth weight and good performance numbers and you throw in the carcass and maternal end of it, why it's just one total package that will fit all, you know, a black cow really good and really works good in, on most of the other, you know, purebred herds that are customers of ours. So I think, uh, you know, thinking back about it, you know, years ago, I mean, most of our customers were all straight Herford breeders. And there's some of those guys are still, you know, commercial outfits that are running Herford cattle or still buying cattle from us, you know. But as we all know, the the, the percentage of black cows out there, why that's a, a, a great market for for the Herford breed and and that black baldy, I mean, it's just not a better female out on the range is that black baldy that throws on the, the extra fertility you get you know, the longevity, uh, maternal end of it. And then still the fact that, you know, these calves hit the, uh, the feedlot and you know, perform and great with the best of the, of any breed out there. Yeah. I think, you know, the years of performance selection and the balance trade, you know, we see a lot of our customers, you know, on the, on the commercial end, whether, you know, crossbreeding on Angus based cows, you know, uh red or black you know and you know seeing seven to ten percent increases a lot of times in their weaning weights and you know i i think no doubt part of that's due to the to the line one line of cattle and and being even a little more unrelated and, and even added to the to the heterosis that you get just with you know with what the hereford breed brings itself also i think part of that is the consistency that comes through with the line one cattle you know those calf crop is just that much e evener because of the line breeding and, and that predictability on that end, uh, you know, that, that helps that consistent way. And I know last year in the drought year, you know, a lot of area that I probably had more calls and texts from customers, you know, in the fall saying, thank goodness for, you know, using, using you guys as bulls, you know, that's the only reason our calves still made the, the weight that we wanted. And, and we saw instances of uh, guys having, you know, their baldy calves in a drought here being 80 to a hundred pounds heavier than, than their straight bred calves. And, you know, let alone what they get out of that female. I mean, the research is out there, you know, about how efficient a black baldy female is. And, you know, both from a, from a feed consumption standpoint, fleshing ability standpoint fertility standpoint and you know then you add what the line one brings to the table with the years of maternal selection and and you know the other quality and 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 milk and the functionality and fertility of that you know i mean those you know the guys that that use cooper and holden bulls on their on their black cows i mean they you know those females are worth a, a bunch to them. That's, that's, you know, Hey, they're, they're happy to have the extra weight at weaning or, or 
the extra growth through the feedlot that they get on it and how those cattle hang up because all those traits put in, but you know, they're, they love those, those females for their functionality and, and production end of things and, and what, what they bring to, you know, for, for a long-term return on investment, uh, for, for buying the, the line one bulls. Well, I, I think that's, um, well said Jack, uh, for sure. And you know, at, uh, you know, you guys, uh, bull sales, I think are a testament, to. Uh, you know, as they keep, uh, keep growing and, in, in numbers and, and offering, um, you know, cattle to, to both sectors of the, of the beef industry. Uh, it seems like, uh, demand is still growing, still increasing. And so, uh, it's a great testament to, to both of your, your genetic populations and, and what you've been able to do. Um, you know, both of you kind of touched on early, you know, when we jumped on uh, about your families and, uh, there's definitely youth and, uh, you know, coming along and the generations are building. And so let's, let's talk about what, what the future looks like for, for both operations, uh, as you continue forward and, and what are some goals, I guess, of, of Cooper, uh, and, and holding operations. Well, we got, uh, two daughters and a son-in-law that are very engaged in the operation and you know looking back when they were in high school the only thing we, we have four daughters the only thing we really thought about at that time was uh, getting educated in a degree that once they got married they could help support their family and never did realize that they may want to come back to the ranch or didn't even think about it at that time because i was in my 30s in and and that wasn't even on the forefront of the burner you know but they have a passion for agriculture, for the, uh, the cattle. Uh, they've been quick learners in in our program and the genetics end of it. Uh, and I think, you know, moving forward, uh, Kelsey and Kate and um, Dave are, will move the program forward. You know, we can get into that generation. The next generation, you know, with the grandsons and granddaughters, it's always going to be a struggle how you make that work, but there'll be an opportunity for these kids out there. And, and, uh, in today's world, I mean, that's all you need is an opportunity. If they see that they'll, they'll grab it and go. So I, you know, I feel really comfortable. I'm just turned 70 in, in December. So I'm not ready to give up yet. And I still help out a lot and have a lot of input on the operation, but you know, they're the next generation and, and, uh, you know, I'm proud that they're, they'll, move the program forward and, and, uh, um, you know, hopefully be a betterment to the Herford breed. Very good. Yeah. You know, same here with holding Herefords. I mean, it's really blessed to have, you know, Brad and Eric involved and, you know, they, they definitely believe in, in what we're, we're doing. Of course, Brad, you know, grew up around it also and is, is kind of that's what he's always wanted to do and you know was really blessed that when eric and brooke got married that you know he uh, he didn't really grow up with that background uh but he has really taken a a great hold of of things and and you know done a lot of a lot of homework on on learning what all need to do in this business and you know hey he's been here long enough now that you know he's they're they're both really integral parts of the operation and and it's it's 
really nice to me to to have them around and you know they handle a lot of day-to-day stuff along with chris jd evans that's been here 20 some years and you know i i'm still i do a lot of the office end of things and 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 the record end and they're out with the cattle a lot and, and handle that and, you know that's you know we when i came home we were selling about 50 bulls and you know and now we're you know selling 120 150 bulls a year we've kind of expanded you know the futures you know i don't know that we're going to get a lot bigger we just want to keep improving the cattle and definitely we've got that next generation uh coming on and and you know it's going to be theirs and and that's what they want to do it's it's really great to see that they uh, uh have the uh, uh you know that passion for it and and, and believe in in what our operation stands for and, and going to carry it forward, you know, and hopefully, you know, I get Brayton's too, and we'll have more grandkids besides, and he's already, he loves cattle and bulls and going out and about. And it's great to see that, you know, hopefully maybe the fifth generation is, is continuing to go on on this. You know, we believe in agriculture and, and the Hereford cattle and, and what it brings, uh, you know, for the beef industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you guys. Uh, Really enjoyed the time today and uh, learning more about uh, your operations and the history, you know, and how it all got started. Uh, you know, the uh, the cattle and the genetics that you provide the Hereford industry are, are definitely a, a benefit. So we appreciate the diligent uh, performance records, um, your, your passion for the Hereford breed. It's, uh, it's evident uh, in your work. Uh, and, and what you produce each and every year. And, uh, it's neat to see that, uh, you, you, you both have a, a pretty well laid out plan, just like your breeding programs of, of how the, how the family, uh, can keep it a family operation and, and keep it going for years to come. And so it's, uh, it's exciting to, uh, to be able to hopefully, uh, just watch, watch that grow and, and keep that going. And so, Thank you both for all you do for the breed uh, through your leadership roles and uh, your commitment to it. So that, uh, that'll wrap up this uh, episode of 1881. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in and uh, our next uh, episode will be another uh, great one. And uh, we're looking forward to, to having our, our next uh, guest on again. Uh, appreciate the feedback. Uh, if you want to send uh, Taylor Bell or Mai's uh, way on, on different things uh, that you might want to hear about. So with that, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the American Hereford Association's podcast, 1881, with host Shane Bedwell. For more information, visit Hereford.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today. <laughs>